So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. It's a male chastity device. So it attaches itself quite firmly and securely around your private parts, preventing you from performing certain functions. What could go wrong, to quote you, Graham? What could go... Well, I'll tell you what went wrong. Uh, <laughs> they discovered flaws, which meant that someone could remotely lock all of the devices and prevent people from unlocking themselves. The actual advice on the site was, you're going to have to use bolt cutters or an angle grinder. What? <laughs> I think I'd rather not. <laughs> I'll just stay in it. <laughs> Smashing Security, episode 338, Catfishing Services, Bad Sports, and Another Cock-Up, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 338. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, joining us today, uh, a pretty... I was about to say, a pretty common regular. That's quite rude, really, isn't it? It's uh... Maybe start that again. <laughs> so, join us today, Carol. Who have we got in we the We have seat? a guest for the first time in a few weeks. Yes. Mr. Mark Stockley is joining us. Hi, Mark. Hi. Welcome back to Smashing Security. Thanks very much. Great to have you back, Mark. It's brilliant. And we have a big show today, so we should crack on. Are we uh, ready to go? Let's go. But first, let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Collide, Systeg, and ClearVPN. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Oh, it's another right cock up. Okay, Mark, what about you? I am going to talk about the worst sports reporter in the world. <laughs> and I'm going to be looking at a catfishing enterprise. Plus, we have a featured interview with Alex Lawrence. He's the principal security architect at Sysdig. And we're going to dive into Sysdig's brand new threat report and find out what we should be looking out for. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, can you believe how time has flown by? Not only have our kids got older over the summer and grown about three foot taller, not only are they sprouting hair out of their nostrils and all sorts of unpleasant places like that, but it's also four years or so since episode 199 of Smashing Security. Wow. Yeah, you may remember we had Zoe Kleinman from the BBC on and we mm -hmm. reported on how security researchers had found serious security flaws 
in the Key Cellmate, which is a, uh, a Chinese-made IoT device made of polycarbonate and toughened steel. A very specific kind of IoT device. It comes in both oh, long... No. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it comes in both long and short models. Uh-huh. Um, when I investigated it back then, I found uh, the short models had sold out on the website. I Plenty- remember the name Cellmate, actually. Right. I remember what it does. Okay. What, what do you remember about it, Kroll? Could you describe what it does? Because that would save is me. This, is this something to do with prison? Yeah, basically well, it, it is with prison. <laughs> it prisons up your junk, if I remember correctly, and you give your special oh. someone the key. Yes. And it's a digital key. Am I right? Is that right? Yes. Or am I just dirty? <laughs> it's a male chastity device. Um, so it attaches itself quite firmly and securely around your private parts, preventing you from performing certain functions. Who does unless, this? Actually, I don't want to know. I do not want to know. Unless your partner via the internet unlocks it. What and could go wrong, to quote you, Graham? What could go Well, I'll tell you what went wrong. Uh, <laughs> Penelope. The penetration testers at Pentest Partners, <laughs> uh, appropriately enough, they discovered flaws in Cellmate's API, which meant that someone could remotely lock all of the devices and prevent people from unlocking themselves. Um, the actual advice on the site was you're going to have to use bolt cutters or an angle grinder. <laughs> Can you imagine? So <laughs> what? It's, it's so, going to be an internet joke. I think I'd rather not. i'll just stay in it (laughs) so um aside from imprisoning your penis uh also the api was leaky um which you don't want so it would leak your location data your personal information your private chats and what was called your member code you have private chats through your your well yes via the not 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 on that there was no screen on it a keyboard (laughs) there's a big microphone (laughs) no no, but via the app, you could chat with partners saying, oh, please unlock me, you naughty yeah. boy. Let's or, not or, use Signal or WhatsApp or something. Yeah. Let's use Cellmate's own chat service. So, yeah. okay. so um, cyber criminals did eventually exploit this flaw, and they demanded a ransom from people they'd locked up. Now, surprisingly, years have gone past. The key Cellmate, I've done some Googling today, it's still on sale. You can go to its online store. Uh, the motto is Love Hurts. Uh, when you can buy them on Amazon. You can even get them on eBay. I'm not sure you'd oh. want a pre-loved sex toy from eBay, but if you... If Reconditioned. You, if you wanted... As long as they delete the chat history. <laughs> anyway, that's all yesterday's news, right? That's, that's from a while ago. Because surely by now, everyone's been put off the idea of chastity cages. People have decided that's not a good... Well, not so. Not so. Because I don't know, uh, Mark or Carole, if you read the Dear Deirdre Agony Aunt column in the Sun newspaper. Is that still going? Is she still alive? Does she exist? That's very interesting. Because when I was reading this Dear Deirdre column online Uh about male chastity cages from last month, it's actually got someone else's name on the byline. So the, the, right. sort of, the brand is Dear Deirdre, but it's someone called Sally who was yeah. actually answering They fired Deirdre. And, yeah. yeah, so Deirdre, she's been sent off in the wheelchair. Anyway, someone wrote in saying, my sexual urges are so out of control, I'm considering buying myself a chastity cage. And this chap, he said, uh, he was in his mid-twenties. He said he had a bit of a wandering eye, but he, he loved his girlfriend. He's been going out with her two years. She's wife material. 
he says. But because he keeps on looking at other girls and thinking, well, I'd quite like to have sex with her, he has secretly bought himself a metal chastity cage to lock up his penis to prevent him from doing anything untoward of it. And he was saying, do you think this will stop me cheating? He said to dear Deirdre. Surely. And okay. I'm, I'm wondering if she defines cheating now because well, uh, my story has to do a bit with cheating as well. So this is quite interesting because, yeah. Well, I'm thinking that uh, chances are she's going to spot this, isn't she? If he's clanking around the bedroom. <laughs> I don't think it's but, like medieval, right? Like I know what you're picturing. Have you seen these things, Carol? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. But you have to take an angle grinder to them. They are <laughs> just <ridiculous>. quite substantial. <laughs> anyway, she said, get a grip, pleasure yourself. That's what you have to do. Stop being ridiculous. Just stop trying to have sex. A with lot of bathroom breaks. Anyway, so chastity cages are still <laughs> mm-hmm. being sold. Now, word reaches us via TechCrunch of another dick cage that has serious vulnerabilities. An anonymous researcher, anonymous because he doesn't like to mix business with pleasure, he has found a different internet-connected male chastity device is exposing users' email addresses, plain text passwords, home addresses, IP addresses, and in some cases, and this one really surprised me, GPS coordinates due to flaws in its servers. Now, why these things are beaming out their GPS coordinates and how precise do you need to be (laughs) with something like a... (laughs) You surely don't need to know within a few metres, which apparently the device claims... Well, if you're using an angle grinder, I think very, very precise. (laughs) (laughs) You need great precision. Yeah. A few metres doesn't cut it. No. You want, you know... (laughs) Well, it could. A centimetre could make a big difference. Uh-huh. So apparently apparently, your partner who's in control of your chastity device can follow your movements and see where you're going while you're clanking around. This research has found, uh, via these flaws, he's found records of more than 10,000 users. And so he did the responsible thing. He contacted the company back in June about the vulnerabilities. They didn't respond. Carl Surprise. Now, this is the interesting bit. He then, because he couldn't get a response from them, he defaced their website. He put up a message on their website. He said, this site's been disabled by a benevolent third party, and the vendor's name has been redacted, right? There's no no one saying who the vendor is. He says, they've left the site wide open. It's allowing any script kiddie to grab all this customer information, including plain text passwords and shipping addresses. And he says, if you've paid for a physical unit and now can't use it, I'm really sorry, but there are thousands of people of accounts on here and I couldn't leave it up for grabs. Hope, hope you weren't wearing it at the time. Well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> does disabling the website prevent you from unlocking it? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it prevents someone from logging in and, and doing that. How do you feel about that, Mark? What do you think? Do you think that's right, that he should have defaced the website and put up this message? Um. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Right. After careful consideration. Because I I, I don't want to think that anything would rely on the website being there. Because websites being there is a... Websites are very transient, aren't they? They are. They're not difficult to affect. Um, Right. But having said, I wouldn't want that to happen. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And we're talking about the IoT here. So I think actually probably did happen. 
Mm. So you don't think it's right for him to deface the website and put the message up there? He, even though he's frustrated and he, he he wants to get the message out to those users, should he have emailed those users instead, or what? What, what do you think would have well, been a better course I, I of think, action? I think put it on Reddit. Right, <laughs> and they'll DDoS the site by all travelling there. You'll be able to read something. Put it on Reddit. Yeah, Google will pick it up. But he was worried that naming the company would actually get people exploiting it. And that's why TechCrunch haven't named them either. TechCrunch say they've tried to contact the company, which is based in China, like the key cellmate. Similar lack of response. They have removed the defacement message from the website. And so I was curious. I immediately thought this must be the key cellmate, the one we spoke about a few years ago. I thought it Uh must be the same one. And I thought, why are TechCrunch being so coy? I thought, oh, so I, I went to the Internet Archive. I was looking at key cellmates. Uh, store looking to see if you know they'd been defaced or anything like that. So the key cellmate still run, but it isn't the key cellmate because according to TechCrunch, the vulnerable Dick Cage only has an Android app. There's no iPhone app. So I imagine iPhone users who have a chastity cage <laughs> around their penis, they don't have to worry because it's this is only affecting Androids instead. I just um, think this is one of those things that if you definitely want to have your cocks in a block, I guess, uh, why wouldn't you just go old school and get dumb tech? With a key. You know, no tech. With a key. Just don't lose the key. Or maybe a good um, fisherman's <laughs> knot would be good. <laughs> if you could tie a knot in it, a tie a secure knot, and that would prevent anything bad from happening. <laughs> Mark, what have you got for us this week? Well, I'm going to talk about the worst sports reporter in the world. Okay. So, do you like sports? You, you're pretty athletic, Graham. Do, do you like sports? What are you into? I, I am keen on badminton and uh-huh. chess. <laughs> ah. I consider badminton yeah. not really a sport. I consider that a game. Yeah. Yes. But I consider chess to be a sport. Yes. I think other chess players do too, don't they? Yes, they do. That's why they get all sweaty when they're playing. (laughs) I think anything which has a random element is a game. So football, cricket, badminton, anything like that. That's just a fun game. But chess is a serious sport. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I was going to say, they also love sports in the USA, but I'm not not sure you actually love sports. (laughs) 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 There's a whole other discussion to have there. But in the USA, they definitely love sports, like actual proper sports. Sports like, you know, NFL, NBA, college sports, even high school sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the local newspapers are only too happy to add these sports-mad fans to their readership with penetrating and insightful analysis of all the latest goals, baskets, and touchdowns. Yeah. However, something strange has been happening Ooh. at local papers in the USA. See if you can tell what it is. So this in-depth bit of sports reporting came from a recent edition of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Okay. It said, I'm going to butcher this name now, the Waukesha West Wolverines defeated the Hartford <laughs> Orioles 42-14 in a Wisconsin high school football game on Friday. Waukesha West recorded a big victory over Hartford 42-14 during this Wisconsin football game. Mm-hmm. That's a really high score for a football game, isn't it? How big were the goals? <laughs> I, they may be talking about uh, American football. American football. Oh, but anyway, really so that, I was, yeah. uh, you know, perhaps not the, the peak of journalism there. Um, 
What about this one from the Tennessean? Mm. The Christ Presbyterian Lions defeated the Brentwood Academy Eagles 17-16 in a Tennessee high school football game on Saturday. Christ Presbyterian eventually took victory away from Brentford Academy 17-16 in a Tennessee high school football matchup. Oh, it's like, it makes no sense. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit garbled, isn't it? It's an odd way of phrasing things. Both teams were shut out in the first quarter. The Eagles took a 7-3 lead over the Lions, heading to the halftime locker room. Brentwood <laughs> Academy enjoyed a 16-3 lead over Christ Presbyterian to start the fourth quarter. A 14-0 scoring edge in the final quarter fueled the Lions' defeat of the Eagles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. I think I know what's going on here. Okay, well, the, uh, I, I, the, final one, the final one might give you a clue. This is my favourite okay. from the okay. Columbus Dispatch. The Worthington Christian bracket bracket winning underscore team underscore mascot bracket bracket <laughs> defeated the Westonville North bracket bracket losing underscore team underscore mascot bracket bracket 2-1 in an Ohio boys soccer game on Saturday. Worthington Christian edged Westerville North 2-1 in a close encounter of the athletic kind for an Ohio boys soccer victory on August the 19th. A close encounter of the athletic kind. It's like the first time you listen to the shipping forecast in the UK. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> Worthington Christian drew first blood by forging a 2-1 margin over Westonville North. After the first half, the scoreboard was in hibernation in the final half with neither <laughs> team scoring. That, the last two lines, I think what they're saying is... Hibernation. Worthington Christian drew first blood, forging a 2-1 margin over Westonville North after the first half, but in the final half, which if I remember correctly, there are two halves. There are neither, normally two halves, yes. Yeah. <laughs> neither team scored. Hmm. Yes, that would be a simpler way of wording it, wouldn't it? Has oh, all this underscore bracket bracket uh, stuff, it, could there possibly be some sort of computer cock-up occurring? <laughs> Perhaps. You're, you're close. You're very close. Right, right. So there are two little letters that join all of these terribly written articles together. Can you guess what they are? A-I. That, that's how we're going to say AI from now on. <laughs> yep, this year's NFT AI... All of these reports were written by an AI called Lead AI, which was being tested out by a newspaper chain called Gannett, which owns a bunch of local newspapers. According to Axios, Gannett-owned newspapers published dozens of Lead AI game recaps, uh, and CNN reports that the experiment has now stopped following ridicule on social media. Wow, and, 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 yeah. and soon podcasts. <laughs> the thing is that the reports are actually generated. There's, there's a, I forget what the system's called. It's something like Scorebox. There is a system that actually generates, like, you know, this was the score after the first quarter and this was the right. score after the second quarter. And so all this thing is doing is it's taking that information and putting it into sentences rather than into bullet points. Mm -hmm. right. But, right. But the sentences are... <laughs> Lacking. AI garbage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so And I suppose the AI, to try and make it appear more more human is thinking well we won't use those those other words we'll go to the thesaurus we'll find synonyms like hibernation in, like in hibernation <laughs> or close encounters of the athletic kind um, yep. it's just trying to th trying to add a little bit of color and coming across as freaky now this is not the first time that the myth of ai journalism has faced public scorn mm -hmm. so last year i don't know if you remember but cnet massive publication started publishing articles under the byline CNET money staff. 
uh, these articles look they were probably made for search engines rather than for people <laughs> um but this cnet money staff with its uh, ai pseudonym and wired reports that a torrent of embarrassing disclosures followed uh, with more than half of the articles containing factual errors and 41 out of 77 uh, requiring quotes sometimes lengthy corrections mm-hmm. now i don't know about you but i like wherever you look ai is just making stuff up at the moment which is really oh, yeah. bad for everyone i mean it's bad it's bad for information and disinformation it's bad for the internet and ultimately it's even bad for ai because ai is it's using the internet as training data. So if the internet. Well, that's is- right. The, the, the more AI, the more AI generates, the more it's feeding yeah. itself worse information, isn't it? Yes. And there are some news sites now which are specifically blocking these AI chat bots from scouring and scooping up information from their sites because they don't see why they should be helping them. You just make a change to robots.txt to block some of these things from coming through. But I use a chatbot. I've been playing around with it for a few weeks, and I have not run into it being incorrect uh, that I've noticed. <laughs> but I guess I'm not asking um, for uh, you know right or wrong answers. I'm asking more for fleshing out ideas, I guess. Really? So, yeah. What? Like turning sports scores into sentences about sports scores. I'd ask them something like, tell me about this term. Tell me what this term means. Yeah. You know, and then I might learn something about it, but it's... uh, Well, you might. Or you might learn something about something else. Yeah. I've just not seen any cock-ups on the ones I've used and using. I know they've happened, but I've seen that more in the press than me seeing any blatant, oh my God. It sounds a bit like, though you're not really asking it to generate any anything new like you know create a report that's true like that. that's you're more true. saying define something or explain this to me yeah tell me what happened at this you know whatever like a historical thing or you know what does right. this mean that sort of thing yeah so you're right i'm using it like maybe that's more straightforward for it i don't know mm. yeah, so did did these sports articles not say this article has been written by a stupid robot rather than a human? Or did they, they-, they did. Actually, the sports articles did. They said the, the, the byline was lead AI. Right. But I, I think, you know, expectations are set by uh, decades and decades of history of human journalists. Uh, and so I, I don't know if it matters so much that it was written by an AI. Uh, I think it's more that it was just really bad. Yeah, uh, I don't think anybody would have minded if it was written by an AI and it was good, but I, I think the the badness and the fact that it was made by an AI are now kind of joined in people's minds. Um, I mm-hmm. don't know about you, I, I sense a, a significant lowering of expectations this year after a sort of explosion of hyperbole around generative AI last year. Right. I've yeah. got a colleague who went to the RSA security conference, which is sometime earlier this year, and he said, you couldn't move for AI. Mm-hmm. I went to InfoSec in in the uk in june and honestly i didn't see anyone talking about ai everyone was just talking about real world problems and nobody was suggesting that ai was the solution apparently the the mood at black hat where they are talking about ai is much more uh okay well what what can it actually do you know it's taken us a year or so but i I think we're actually now coming to a much more sensible place about all right it's maybe it's not going to replace everybody but maybe it's going to be as carol described a sort of useful yeah uh, really cool tools yeah. yeah. And the astonishing thing is that if they were doing this experiment, getting AI to generate these sports reports, if it was an experiment, why weren't they having someone human in the process just to have a look over oh, these things? Oh, they did. Oh, they did? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, the the uh, edit, editorial guidelines for uh, Gannett. Were they stuff. underpaid? <laughs> well, I, I I I think I don't know. I, I can't speak for them, but I, the the editorial guidelines say something like they're checking for factual errors. And I think I think right. the things that I read are actually factually correct. They're just nonsense, drivel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd like to think that a researcher would spot that, though. No offense, but. So what does this tell us about the future of AI? Does it tell us anything? Does it just tell us to manage our expectations a little more rather than... Well, I, I think well, probably what it tells us is that we're going to have... You know, we've had 20 years of reading garbage articles written by people trying to target for SEO. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think now the future is going to be much, 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 much more of the same, unfortunately. Okay, well, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Carol, what have you got for us this week? Okay, so so as we know, there are some people that are in relationships that sometimes get distracted by what I'm going to call a third party, like someone outside the relationship. Mm-hmm. And this can happen because maybe someone has a philandery style about them or their relationship problems or whatever. Like we know that uh, not every relationship, whether budding or long term, is rock solid, right? And, and we know about cheating a la, you know, let's sneak off and do some sexy stuff without the knowledge or consent of the long-term partner. But we also have heard about emotional cheating, which as far as I understand, is someone having risky, you know, risque flirty conversations with another person, but no body fluids are exchanged. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> Have a little daydream about someone maybe. Yeah. Yes. Is that, is that, is that an emotional cheating? I would think so. If you're having a daydream about someone else other than your long-term partner, you've got to you got to go, whoa, whoa, stop that. You know, I mean... I've <laughs> I'm not going to tell my husband about my Dave Goldbaum obsession. <laughs> there is a difference, surely, yes, because it could all be going on in your head, um, whereas if you actually physically participate, then yeah. Okay, I, I have a scenario. I'm not saying one is right and the other one is wrong. I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to tell me if you feel this is emotional cheating. Okay, okay? perfect. Perfect. Okay, yes. so we have a woman who lives in South America somewhere. We're going to call her Carla. Mm-hmm. And Carla is chatting with someone online, you know, yik, yak, yik, yak, yik, yak. And she happens to mention the city where she lives. Right. And the someone she's talking to says, oh, I've never been there before, but I'm actually planning a trip quite soon. And and this guy she's chatting to eventually asks if she would show him around when he arrives in her city. Very friendly. Yes. You know, and she's like, that, that'd be cool, right? Yeah. More chit-chat, more chit-chat. And then mm-hmm. he says, you're kind of cute. And Carla calls him cute back. And then mm-hmm. later on in the conversation at one point, she says she can't wait for him to get there. Okay? Can't wait being the yeah. key word. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the scenario. So... Where on the scale of emotional cheating do you feel this flies? Well, do, do, does Carla or the other guy have another partner? Yeah, Carla does. Carla does. Carla oh, has a boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well. I mean, it's not like they're discussing 69 or whatever. Like, Oh, for God's sake. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's always that with you, isn't it? Has anybody invested in an IoT chastity belt yet? <laughs> right? <laughs> These are questions I want to know the answers to now. <laughs> I think I think it, it's, you know, I think 
probably they need to be careful about saying, oh, you're, you're pretty cute yourself, you know. Really? If, I if, say if, people if are cute all the time. Do you? Yes. I've never heard that from you. Well. You have to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Graham. Yep. <laughs> Other people. Cuter people. <laughs> I'm going to say, maybe for some people, this type of chatter, right? If your partner was having this type of chatter with a third party, would be considered not cool, right? Okay. Does the third, does the guy who's chatting with her know that Carla has a partner? That If she hasn't revealed that, then that's a bit... What? We should all be wearing, like, boyfriend tattooed across our foreheads? Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> absolutely. That's exactly where I was taking it, Corey. You're absolutely right. Yes, of course, that's what I meant. So, for people that, you know, don't think this is cool, there is hope in the form of a small online company, one that is offering a specific service to couples, or at least one member of the couple. And this is where party pays, right? A small on The small online company to do some very serious assessing in order to discover whether the, you know, relationship is, or the person is loyal to the relationship in the person. How, how do they do that? Catfishing. Oh. So according to a New York Times article, you pay this company called Loyalty Test, and one of their testers will get in touch with you, uh, with your person of interest, and do some flirting, like in some cases pretty innocently, like Carla's, right? Yes. But as soon as Carla wrote that she, quote, can't wait, right, referencing his arrival to the city, our loyalty test worker grabbed a screenshot of the conversation, Mm -hmm. blocked Carla on all accounts, and immediately reported what happened to Carla's boyfriend. Oh, I I think that's a bit extreme. And that is how this company even sells itself. So Carla's sitting there, I'm guessing, like going, uh, what just happened? Meanwhile, uh, the guy goes in tattletales to the boyfriend, right? According to the New York Times, loyalty tester said, uh, I just texted the boyfriend and was like, hey, she says she wants to go out. So I sent him screenshots and he said, okay, that's enough. Thank you. And, and this loyalty test worker? Okay, who is this guy? A 19-year-old college student from West Palm Beach, Florida, making ends meet by testing the loyalty of relationships. Apparently, he'd been cheated on. He's trying to save the world from the pain he went through. And uh, he's just one of many workers, right? So they work like rideshare drivers, right? So they basically are free to take on as many clients as they wish. And you can go check out the site. Why don't you go check out the site? So Can I sign up? How much would I get paid for doing this? um, You can sign up for free. You can charge whatever you like, but Brandon... Balazingham, the 27-year-old site founder, will take 10% of every transaction. So you can go to loyalty-test.com. And uh, the strap line here, listeners, is hire one of our testers to DM and flirt with your significant other. Catch a cheater today. (laughs) So it's not telling me how much he's going to pay me if I become a tester. I'm not well, I'm some people quite- some people in the article say that they charge around 100 bucks per session. It depends because sometimes it just takes one DM exchange, apparently, <laughs> like literally. Other times it's two or three days of online conversation. So our Florida student loyalty tester determines what's included in his flat fee on a case-by-case basis. And he, only, he says he only tests women, he says. Right. Do you, do you think people ever sign themselves up? <laughs> 
I did wonder that because I received a, a so I had to join WhatsApp the other day, right? I've, I've always refused to be on WhatsApp, and I had to get on WhatsApp because of various groups my son is a member of, and that's how they communicate is only via WhatsApp. Bloody hell! So I had to join WhatsApp. I've started receiving spam from people saying, "Oh, I'm 28, I'm lonely," and I was wondering who actually responds to these. Who would cut, who would get in touch with me? <laughs> who well, no no I don't think who who would actually reply to these things? Someone some nutter. Then I thought, well, there probably are people who are lonely and might start it as a bit of fun and then begin to believe they are in a relationship. But I suppose if I was a tester, I could create a social media platform of myself with a hot, you know, not not the genuine photograph of me, but I could create my own hot young profile, couldn't I? With a strapping Graham, body. you'd be great at this, I think. This could be your next thing. You'd be excellent. I think I would too. I think I'm good. I'm going to give up this cybersecurity love. Because you have no morals and you're effectively setting <laughs> up a honey trap. Don't <laughs> you think? I mean, is this, okay, is this the same thing? Is this the same thing? Is this the same as someone being on a diet, right? And your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner mm. sticks a bunch of fresh, delicious, amazing pastries, right? From a top bakery in the fridge all over the kitchen, and sets up video surveillance just to see if your resolve will weaken. I mean, isn't that what it's like? If you go to the website, loyaltytest.com, you'll see the people that are apparently calling. I have had that happen. I have had people plant food (laughs) in my fridge and then booby trap it because they know I can't resist. Yeah. That's... (laughs) Were there small lenses poking out? And what does it tell you of the partner? Like, would you not be more pissed... That your so-called partner paid a hottie to catfish you instead of just being a wonderful partner. <laughs> I think I think if this is happening in your relationship, then you probably have bigger problems than whether or not your partner would respond to a an approach from a stranger. And and the thing that kind of bothers me most about this is what of these testers? Well, it doesn't take much to be approved. An active Instagram account, it seems, and you don't even have to use a real name there. Um, and you have an agreement to abide by the loyalty test terms. But how do we know that they don't keep the information on their, you know, because it's all their devices and stuff, right? right? So all the stuff that they're screenshotting and taking. Anyway, oh. it's... Uh, so nice advert for loyaltytest.com. <laughs> well done, Kroll. You've promoted their service. I'm just thinking if you're doing this, you're risking the private info of someone you supposedly care about, right? Yes, yes. By inviting someone with little to no verification to seduce them all in the name of catching them out. Like, ain't love great. <laughs> and, and someone could sign up for this service and then become a scammer. Right? You know, having got themselves into this situation. No, no, no. Stay well clear of this. None of this nonsense. Okay. <laughs> okay. Kind of tempted to sign up, though. <laughs> I knew you would. This week, we're sponsored by ClearVPN, developed by MacPor, a software company from Ukraine with more than 30 million users worldwide. ClearVPN is incredibly user-friendly, ensuring that even non-tech-savvy users can easily protect their online privacy without any extra technical skills required. ClearVPN has a free plan for all users worldwide. It can hide your IP address and browse without geo-restrictions. And the best part is, you don't even need an account to start using ClearVPN's free plan. It's entirely anonymous. ClearVPN works on Mac, Windows, Android and iOS. And with its premium plan, you can be teleported to 
40 other countries to unlock content on the top streaming services such as Netflix USA, Hulu, HBO Box, BBC iPlayer and more. To make your life online more safe and private with ClearVPN right now, you can try out 30 days of free trial premium. Head over to smashingsecurity.com slash clearvpn, click start 33 days, go through the registration and then download ClearVPN to your device. That's smashingsecurity.com slash clearvpn. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. For the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common. It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials. But imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. Here, credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it makes sure that if a device is not trusted or secure, it can't log in to your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash smashing to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. Feeling like you have too many alerts, overwhelmed by vulnerabilities, and at the end of the day, not deploying apps as quickly as you'd like? Well, Sysdig delivers the industry's only complete consolidated cloud-native application protection platform, CNAP, powered by Runtime Insights, to prioritize critical risks and stay ahead of unknown threats. With Runtime Insights, you can level up your cloud visibility, shift left the right way, and start scanning for vulnerabilities earlier, shield right to protect your production environment, and keep dev teams innovating securely at cloud speed. Now is the time to transform your cloud security, so visit sysdig.com slash smashing to learn more. That's sysdig.com slash smashing. And welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they like. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Now, a few weeks ago, my Pick of the Week was not a Pick of the Week. My Pick of the Week was, in fact, a nitpick of the week. Mm-hmm. Everyone loved my nitpick of the week, all about EV charges, and they put to mind that maybe some of my other grumbles in life could be used as a nitpick of the week. So I, um, I've i recently moved house, and there have been a couple of teething problems. One of my teething problems is with the uh, the hob on my oven, right? There's the hot plates, <laughs> yeah? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's an electric hob, and it has this touch interface we have to uh, press mm-hmm. down like that uh, you have to turn on uh, and then you choose the hot plate uh, and then you have to go blink 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 and blink to try and turn it up or dink 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 to turn it down all the time your food is bubbling over everything's going everywhere it's making a mess the smoke- do you not have handles on your receptacles uh, to move this is them? a typical female response to the problem 
female. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Welcome back in 1980s. My partner took a turn. My partner had the same response, which is why sample size of two. Yeah, sample size of two, and they both have tips. Okay. <laughs> Why did you bother turning it down or trying to turn it down rather than pick it up? In this particular instance, I wasn't quick enough to pick it up or I thought turning it down would be enough. It was not sufficient. And the thing is, these touch. Eh. So this is this is just a piece of ceramic glass or something right on the hob. And they don't give you knobs. And my nitpick of the week is why do induction hobs not have knobs? So your whole stories, both your stories have to do with doms this week. (laughs) Wow. So it turns out the one I have at the moment is a pure electric. I was wondering why, because the previous place I was at was an induction hob with touch buttons, and it really, really annoyed me that it was so awful. The new one is even worse. And so I have gone on a search on the internet for induction hobs with knobs. And it turns out no one's making them. No one's doing them because they say, oh, but it's so much easier to clean the hob if you don't have a knob on it. Well, yes, but it's also a whole lot easier. Are to your make fingers a too bloody- fat for like too wide for the button? <laughs> right. I don't Crow. really understand. Crow. Crow. I, can I just if say f- my suggestion to you, right, yes. is to yes. touch the touch screen gently rather than cramming your finger on it and pushing as hard as you can thinking it's not registering your massive sausage finger doesn't doesn't. yeah just just gentle gentle touch touch gentle touch doesn't work and if your fingers are wet because maybe you've dared to wash your hands before doing the cooking and not drying them because and still or maybe your fingers are a little bit sweaty because you're you're feeling the heat of the kitchen (laughs) all these all these hot plates all these hot plates going off at once and so you can't control the thing so i've done lots of searching i've only managed to find two hobs of the size i need which actually have knobs they're very very rare there's one called by a company called smeg like i want smeg with knobs on the hob i don't want that (laughs) and it costs like 800 pounds or there's another one from cookology i'm not very happy i've decided i'm going to risk buying like the one that's affordable with knobs and I will report back. But I suspect there are other people out there. <laughs> why don't you buy? Why don't you just buy an induction stove, an induction hob? That's what I am getting. Okay, because you said electric everywhere. I heard electric, like nineteen. You know, with the coils. What do you think induction is powered by? Clockwork or little mice running around in a turnstile? Look, I'm worried about you having a heart attack with all your nitpicks. Well, just saying. So I am getting an induction hob. But they've all got touch interfaces, which are bloody awful. Some of them have this special, oh, we've got this magnetic knob, which you can just drop down on the top and it will, you can turn, it's like you're going to lose that. And that's no good, just having one knob. I want four knobs for the four hot plates. I'm buying one. If anyone's interested, follow me on Twitter and I'll tell you what the results are like when it comes through. But I'm really angry about this. Sorry, X. Don't, don't even get me started on that can we move on this has been great get off the soapbox here <laughs> that was my nitpick of the week and now mark what's your pick of the week well i i think you need my pick of the week oh my pick of the week is a book yes it's called longevity simplified by dr howard j lukes who is an orthopedic surgeon and a bit of a personality on the website formerly known as twitter um 
And he's written a book about how to lead a long and healthy life by staving off <laughs> metabolic syndrome, which is the umbrella condition that manifests as heart disease, diabetes, uh-huh. and the other sort of chronic illnesses of the Western world. They're all actually just aspects of the same metabolic syndrome. And now he writes about what makes the biggest difference to your longevity and why. And he explains how to do like really big things like sleeping and eating and exercising better. And it isn't what you might think. So, for example, if you think about exercise, most exercise programs are actually optimized for some type of athletic performance. So they're about making yourself faster or stronger or building stamina. You know, if you run a marathon, right. mm-hmm. you're, you're not actually trying to make yourself healthier. You're trying to make yourself able to run 26 miles. But his exercise program in this book um, is about doing uh, lots of things like, look, it's, it's about doing lots of fairly easy activity very, very consistently. And by consistently, I mean over decades. All right. <laughs> you can catch up, Graham. Don't be, don't be put off. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got another decade. <laughs> That's what you need if you want to live a, a long and healthy life. Like if you want the, the health, the healthy portion of your life to be longer. What I really like about the book is, although it goes into some depth about the science, so if you're a bit nerdy like me and you want to know, okay, well, why does it work? Like, why does that help? But it's actually, despite all of that, it's a really easy read. Um, and you can see that they've actually put lots and lots of effort into making it something that's very easy to read and digest. So Digest. <laughs> how many words are on the page? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, the, the size of the margins. And then the text itself, it's full of things like repetition, and recaps and stuff like that. So it's very easy to kind of take notes as you're reading it. I have to ask you, have you read it? Have you read the whole book or you're halfway through or something? I'm halfway through. Okay. So you must have at least three takeaways for Graham. For Graham? For Graham? What? For his knob situation? (laughs) Takeaway number one is look after your sleep. Oh, I'm screwed. Sleep is... Sleep is massively important. It's the number one thing in the book. It's the thing that he goes into first because it underpins everything else. Like you, that's when your body does all of its repair work. Oh, that's when all, right. that's when everything gets better. Basically all the exercise that you do, you know, you, you stimulate your body with exercise and then you, you become stronger, yeah. fitter, more athletic, blah, blah, blah. That all happens while you're asleep. And also, you know, the sleep is where your brain does its maintenance and things like that. So sleep is massively important. Food, it's all about unprocessed food. Now, that's not news, uh, hmm. probably, but it's still true. And then the exercise, it's, um, he talks about these uh, Nordic skiers, like people who are very, very good Nordic skiers in their, uh, in their 20s. And they were tested by some university, I can't remember who, as they got into their 80s and 90s. And they still had cardiovascular systems at the sort of college age um, yeah, equivalent to sort of college age kids. And wow, you're going to live forever, Mark. Yeah, yeah. What that comes down to is the fact that these guys they they never ever trained hard, but they trained consistently for thirty, forty, fifty years. Yeah, a bit too late, Graham. Out there doing low level exercise, so it's it's a different kind of exercise. But anyway, it's it's just a super super readable book. Yeah, give us the name one more time. Yeah, yeah, give us the name and the author. So it's it's longevity simplified by Dr. Howard J. Lukes, and he's worth a follow on the website, formerly known as Twitter as well, because he actually tweets out a lot of the stuff 
um, from the book and answers questions and so on. Um, it, have you ever seen like the Huberman Labs podcast and things like that? No. Are you familiar with Andrew Huberman? He's one of these optimizers. So he, he runs a lab and he goes into enormous depth about things like meditation and supplements. And Howard Lukes is like the anti-Huberman. Right. Uh, I, I saw Huberman described as an optimizer. Like, you know, what is the absolute, like what, what a hundred supplements should you be taking every day? Like how do you meditate for an hour every day? If you, if you break your life down into thousands and thousands of different aspects and then try to optimize every single one of them, um, you don't have any time left to actually have your life. Uh, and, you know, mm. this kind of stuff is massively popular. Now all the you know guests on Joe Rogan and, and things like that. Huberman's got his own podcast. Um, and Howard Lukes is kind of like the total opposite of that. Like, like these are the general patterns you need to follow in your life. Don't worry about all that. Don't worry so much about the detail. Get the big stuff right. Anyway, give it a read, Graham. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I like that it's simplified. The way you've described it, it does sound like it's easy to digest, as you said. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Carol, what's your pick of the week? Oh my God, you guys are going to love my pick of the week this week. It's me. <laughs> no, uh, you know, like people know that I do art, right? And uh, I, you know, do a few exhibitions, just, you know, very nascent in the whole thing. But the Oxford Art Society is currently having its open exhibition for 2023, where people like me get a chance to show their work. And I'm proud to say that one of my entries got in again. Hey. And you can go see it online. It's called Sophie's Piano Lesson. There's a link in the show notes so you can go see not just my piece, but all the other. There's hundreds of great works. Like we've got a really amazing uh, set of artists in Oxford. It's huge. And you can even see my art buddy, Sally Ann Stewart. She's uh, a lino cutter. Graham, I think you bought one of hers before. One of I did. I went to uh, an exhibition where you were exhibiting as well, and I, I bought one of her uh, pieces. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh-huh. Um, and the best news is, is now that I've exhibited in two exhibitions, I'm now eligible to become a Oxford Alt Society member. Ah. Uh. And I'm waiting the invitation, guys. <laughs> no, no. So, yay me. I'm the pick of the week. And if you want to see other works from me, where should they go, Gran? Crow.wtf. Yay, I just want to make sure you do it. And that is my pick of the week. Well done indeed. That's brilliant news. Sophie's Piano Lessons, I'm looking at it right now. It's one of your ink and watercolours, isn't it? The problem was, is this year they wanted to do it online. There was some uh -huh. a bit of a disaster with the, the location where they normally hold this. Right. And so I suddenly panicked and I was thinking watercolor is so difficult to really appreciate online. Ah. And so I sent in both works of ink. And then I, re I didn't, I don't regret sending this one in, but I just, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It looks I great. everything. Looks great. Thanks. I really like it. Brilliant. Thanks, buddy. There you go. Now, Carol, you've been speaking to the chaps from Sistig this week, haven't you? Yes, I have with Alex Lawrence. He's the, uh, well, you're going to hear about from him in a few seconds. And we're going to learn all about their findings and their threat report. And I think we're going to be focusing on the cloud. So listen up.
Today, listeners, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alex Lawrence, a principal security architect at Sysdig. This is a company on a mission to make every cloud deployment secure and reliable. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, we have a lot to cover today, but first, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about Sysdig and your role there as principal security architect. Yeah, yeah. Sysdig, uh, like as you said, we have a mission to secure the cloud, right? We uh, are a kind of weird startup, I suppose. But our overall goal um, has always been to figure out how to instrument and how to secure things in the most native way possible. Um, so for, for workloads, that system calls, for the cloud, that's logs, for applications that might be streaming data sources, right? And so it's kind of whatever is the appropriate way to approach looking into that applications information, that's the way we go. Um, it, sounds, it sounds very like a good approach. Not many people do that. Yeah, it's a little bit more work up front, um, but it has some pretty rich results on the the end result of that. Mm. Um, at Sysdig, for me specifically, um, I've been here about five years now, um, maybe five years and two days or something like that. <laughs> um, and my overall goal is to just help people figure out how to deal with the complexity of the cloud and how to deal with securing all of those diverse assets. Okay, good. You're the perfect person to talk about your global cloud threat report 2023 from Sysdig. I had a glance at the report, a little read, and it seems that the main focus is like the amazing speed and swiftness of cloud attacks. Like to quote um, the Sysdig report, quote, opportunistic attacks average under two minutes to find a publicly exposed credential and 21 minutes for credential discovery to attack initiation. So this seems ridiculously fast for me for an average attack. Yes, it is extremely fast. That's probably the single biggest change in the attack surface when it comes to cloud versus on-premises or things like that is uh, just how quickly an attack advances in the cloud. Um, and a lot of that comes down to the reason we all use it in the first place, right? We we abandoned traditional data centers as a uh, global IT group, uh, mostly just because of how quickly we can get things done, right? That's That's the the main driving factor of moving to the cloud. Um, and it benefits us. It also benefits the attackers. Um, and so you don't have that same kind of time to find things anymore. The stuff on the cloud is significantly faster. Um, I think the third report calls it um, uh, cloud automation weaponized. See, it's so crazy because whilst it's a big benefit to organizations, and I can totally see that, it allows people to work collaboratively across geographies and everything. I mean, it's an amazing tool. But I guess there's also weaknesses in that design that help um, attackers. So before they actually um, initiate an attack, what goes on on the attacker side? Like they must do some recon or something. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. Um, so there's this wonderful uh, blog we put out about this really interesting attack called Scarlet Eel. Um, mm -hmm. So if you just Google like Cystic Scarlet Eel, you'll find the blog. Um, but basically, it goes through kind of a story about how these things happen in the cloud and how much more complex they actually are. And so for that initial access, um, traditionally, it's exploiting something, right? That could be exploiting credentials that were exposed in an S3 bucket. That could be exploiting a vulnerability in an application. Uh, that could be finding some misconfiguration in your cloud assets, maybe in a region you don't typically use. Um, there's any number of ways they'll gain access and they'll look at pretty much everything under the sun to find that one spot that has kind of the, the weak point, so to speak, to break in and start doing something. Um, there's a lot of recon that happens and it's a lot around misconfiguration. And honestly, it's typically purely by accident in terms of how that misconfiguration made it to production. 
Um, so if you think about like all the different tools involved in creating cloud applications, there's about a bajillion of them. And all it takes is one, you know, developer or one uh, admin, one ops person to try to get their job done, you know, too quickly. And they forget to go sanitize something or make this change or they, they push the thing from stage into production and suddenly all of those credentials are exposed. And it just takes minutes to find those things these days. So, okay, am I being uh, hyperbolic in saying that any organization that has a cloud that is unprotected is at risk because a lot of this, I don't know, initial stages is automated, I guess, on their side? Correct. Yeah, no, they absolutely are at risk, right? And and again, these things are just sheerly from, for the most part, accidents, right? Like, one of the wonderful things about the cloud is that it has all this automation built in. We know all these defined endpoints and ingress and egress. We know how to access all of our content on the cloud. Most of these mm. public, these ranges, IP addresses, accessible things, they're all published out there, right? It's all on documentation. Um, mm. That also means all the attackers know where to find everything, right? You can set up scanners to just go look for exposed S3 buckets. And if it was just up for a few minutes, you know, it's going to get compromised. Oh, and what do they do? So they grab all this data. What do they do? They're just selling it on or what? Um, they could, right? There, there certainly is a market for selling stolen credentials. Um, and I would say that that's predominantly focused in kind of the, you know, the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 around the world, the biggest of the bigs, those are the ones who are at risk for having their stuff sold. If you're kind of a, a smaller startup or a mom and pa shop, you're just doing something, you're selling pizzas, salads, who knows, whatever it might be. Those are the folks who are kind of more opportunistic, right? And so it kind of mm-hmm. depends on your profile for what matters the most. But at the end of the day, you know, they could be monetizing the credentials. They are more likely taking those credentials themselves and then accessing your environment, right? So if we look at kind of a step two of Scarlet Eel, it's really about like doing installation of tools, doing, you know, basic crypto mining, stealing credentials, stealing access to things. Um, it's basically trying to get more information, kind of sitting and persisting in that environment, looking for what can they do with what they now have access to. And what about ransomware? Like you mentioned crypto. See, I don't know. My In my world, crypto is kind of dead, but maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crypto is here to stay. Um, so yeah, there certainly is ransomware issues, right? That's probably one of the things that's top of mind for most CISOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone gets in my environment and they, they encrypt everything, um, and I lose access to it. What do I do? Right. That's mm. what backups are for. So hopefully people have, have good strategies. You still got to have backup plans, even in the cloud. Mm. If you can get your content back, great. But that doesn't mean that that's where it ends. Right. You know, if they if they truly got access to your content, then that means they also can distribute it. Right. And so that yeah. whole notion of um, uh, ransomware is a, a particularly interesting one. Um, but there's far more than just that that crypto means. Right. Crypto could mean securing the stuff or could be encrypting the stuff could also be crypto mining, right? They could be just looking to get some Bitcoin off your environment. And what's, what's interesting there is that um, it's pretty low cost or low benefit to them, but pretty high cost to the, uh, the person that's being attacked. Um, I think uh, in the threat report last year that we put out, it was roughly um, for every dollar they make, it costs you $53 on your infrastructure. Wow. Um, so to put it differently, you know, $1,000 to them is $53,000 to you. That's pretty crappy ROI. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the for the person being attacked, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, not only your reputation, but... Um, okay, so this is pretty bleak, and I'm hoping you have um, a silver lining to this cloud uh, <laughs> to help us understand how the people that use the cloud, all these organizations around the world, can better protect themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it should be top of mind, right? Like a lot of people used to think that, hey, I'm in the cloud, I don't have to worry about security quite as much, right? We we are the we're the kind of random people out in the world. 
Um, that's not really the case anymore. Um, I think it was an IBM report that came out a few years back that as of 2020, um, the cloud is attacked more often than on-premises, right? So even if you uh, if you move to the cloud, it's not security by obscurity. It's it's uh, the standard way of operating these days. Um, and so you have to think about how do I do all of the things I used to do in a completely different environment. Um, when you had on-premises, it was really simple because you could have a firewall. You could have you know defined in- ingress points, so you knew exactly where data was flowing in and out of that. That's not what the cloud looks like, right? We typically use the analogy that if um, the on-premises data center was a castle, the cloud was a carnival. Um, and so it's, <laughs> it's significantly harder to deal with. And so what do you do? How, how do you secure all of those things? Um, you have to adapt with the times. And so we use the analogy of a camcorder, right? If I can have something that looks at all of my different permutations of my environments in the cloud, um, and it does it in a way that makes sense for that application, that service, that whatever it is, um, I can then have full visibility across that entire thing. And so from Sysdig's perspective, mm-hmm. if we can instrument the cloud logs, like uh, if we use Amazon as an example, if we can instrument CloudTrail, if we can look at all of that data about how configuration changes are happening in your cloud infrastructure, we can look for misconfiguration in real time. We can look for attacks in real time. We can look for people exposing credentials in real time. Um, and that real time piece is the key, right? As you said at the start of this, um, people are being attacked extremely fast, right? That dwell time that amount of time that they take from the moment they get in to the moment they start doing something is extremely fast, right? It's way lower than it ever used to be. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not looking at stuff in real-time context, you're exposing yourself to a risk. So one of the the things that we put in the threat report that I think is interesting, um, it's kind of like point uh, three or something in it, that supply chain security um, isn't safe enough, right? Most people will do things like, scanning their images. They will scan for um, configuration problems. They'll look at kind of all of the static analysis components of their infrastructure. Um, And that catches about 90% of all of the vulnerabilities that they're exposed to. Hmm. There's 10% that doesn't catch and they ignore that 10%, right? That's the runtime things. So 10% of all threats don't show up until the application actually starts running. Um, And that's when the interesting things start to happen, right? That's when crypto mining happens. That's when you start having um, access to credentials being hit. And so if you're not looking at that 10%, you're missing a humongous piece of the puzzle. It sounds pretty small, but when we start talking about, you know, $1,000 to them is $53,000 to us, that 10% matters an awful lot. See, what I like is that you kind of put security first and foremost. And I think many clouds are about ease of use or, you know, uh, ease uh, uh, onboarding, really quick onboarding and not mm-hmm. worrying about the details of security. And not that every individual wants to worry about it, but I'm glad someone is there in the chain, right? <laughs> you want someone there to, to, to look after this stuff for you. What do you uh, feel about IT security folks out there that have to secure this stuff? What things could they do right now to kind of look and see if they've got an issue or a problem that they need to address quickly? Yeah, um, the first thing they can do is never stop learning. (laughs) That's probably the the single most important thing you can do in this industry is to try to do everything you can to stay on top of the way things evolve. Um, Because if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Um, One of the things I'm very passionate about is trying to help change the way we view our security models um, at our organizations. Um, so traditionally in the commercial sector, uh, people have viewed their security posture as a competitive advantage. 
um, which to some degree it certainly is, right? Um, but that lends them to not wanting to communicate too openly about how they are handling breaches, how they are handling attacks, how they're handling their security posture, um, because that's that's uh, you know privileged information to the company. Um, I guarantee you our adversaries are not doing that, right? Our adversaries are leveraging open communication platforms. They're leveraging working with each other, right? They're acting like an open community to talk about how they're exploiting things. Um, and we aren't doing the same in mm-hmm. kind, right? We're trying to keep that information to ourselves. Um, that is a disservice to everybody in the industry. And so the, the biggest thing we can do is be more open in our communication, be more open to working together. Um, we vehemently believe here at Sysdig that uh, open source is the future of cloud mm-hmm. security. And that's a large reason why, right? If we are leveraging open standard tools to do a lot of these things, we can react as fast to the attacks as they are in coming up with new ways and novel ways to break into our infrastructure. And it starts by, you know, being open to learning and being open to communicate with each other and being able to work together at to up all of our security posture, as opposed to keeping it as a, a secret to ourselves. Yes, yeah, like your secret weapon is collaborate and be open. Correct, correct. Yeah. Um, and so, like, if you look at the the foundation of the entire security tooling that we bring to the market, um, it's all built on open source, right? Um, Falco is the runtime detection engine that we use. Uh, Rego is our policy engine that we use for CSPM type stuff. Um, all of the things that we do are out in the open um, because we fundamentally believe that's the way to get the competitive edge in security as time goes on in the cloud. I love that. And what would you say to someone, for example, a CISO or a CIO who really needs to get buy-in from the board, but is having trouble communicating their requirements? Yeah. um, I think if there were one particular way to do that, uh, (laughs) that person would be making an awful lot of money. <laughs> Your advice then, or you, because you must have seen, have heard of these yeah, situations much yeah. more than the average person. I um, mean, honestly, I, I think the best way to do it is to not try to use that whole scare tactic technique. It's just about, again, being open and honest about the threats we're facing and the reasons that we have to change the way we think. Um, it, it's basically that we need to adapt to the times. We need to be able to mm. address threats in the way that makes sense with the way cloud operates. And trust me, it's a lot less pain to prevent something oh my gosh. than to mop up the mess. <laughs> yes. Because I've been in that situation too, and it's not fun. Yes. <laughs> Listeners, you can learn even more about cloud-based attacks and everything that Sysdig does to try and prevent them by going to sysdig.com slash smashing. That's sysdig.com slash smashing. And thank you so much, Mr. Alex Lawrence, Principal Security Architect at Sysdig, for chatting with us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Terrific stuff. And that just about wraps up the show for this week. Mark, I'm sure lots of our listeners would like to follow you online, find out what you're up to. What is the best way for folks to do that? You can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter at Mark Stockley. Easy. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter and Mouse to have a G. We've also got a Mastodon account. And don't forget, to ensure you never miss another episode, follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Overcast. 
and massive thank you to this episode's sponsors, Sistig, Collide, and ClearVPN. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 337 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Our stories had to do with yes controlling cheaters it, in some way. What does that say? <laughs> what does that say? I've, so I've I been I've been looking at loyalty tests some more. So what I hadn't appreciated is I basically set myself up. I can choose how much I charge people for this yes purpose, this service that I'm going to offer. You'd be very good. I, I think people should pay a lot of money. I for think you. I think I'd be brilliant at this. I think <laughs> you would be. And then, and then you get to snapshot it and send it to the husbands and the wives. Oh, yeah, and ruin people's lives. Go, I knew it. Oh. I knew oh. it. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's something to tell the grandchildren, isn't it, so they can be proud of. What did you do during the great Brexit disaster, Dad? Oh, I, I, tried, to, I tried to ruin people's relationship um, <laughs> online by poor old Carla. Yeah, wonderful.